You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Beyond the Conceptual Self. In this episode, Eckhart talks with a live audience about letting go of our false sense of self. He says, when we base our identity on externals, our looks, what we do, where we live, that's the ego. In that state, we're either inferior or superior, never equal. True relationships become impossible. But when we're grounded in essential being, the need to compare disappears and we discover we are infinitely precious. An essential part of awakening spiritually is going beyond a conceptualized sense of self and living in a conceptual reality. And of course, all that implies being identified with thinking because concepts are thoughts. So for many people, the question arises, how do I see myself? And there's a very common problem people have, and that's called self-esteem. What value do I have? What value does my life have compared to others? Some years ago, the Dalai Lama was asked, by somebody about self-esteem and he didn't understand the word self-esteem and the interpreter spent several minutes trying to explain to him the meaning of self-esteem and he just couldn't get it. <laughs> now, of course, you might say, well, if I were the Dalai Lama, I wouldn't have a problem with self-esteem either, but that's not it. Self-esteem and the way in which it's conventionally used is comparative and it's always connected to ego. How do I rate myself relative to others, either in achievement, worldly achievement, abilities, knowledge, physical appearance, physical strength, good looks, bad looks, fat, thin, and usually it's related to what you have, possessions, what you can do, abilities, what you know, knowledge, and physical appearance. And that's an interesting thing when you look at your life from that point of view, there's always a sense of unease because there are always others who are better at at least some of these than you are. 
And then there are others who are worse. For many people, it's a continuous source of unease and even suffering, that feeling that I, I'm not enough, not as good as. And then there are others who have considered themselves better than others, or most. And underneath, hiding underneath that sense of superiority, there's always the fear of inferiority. And those who are, have predominantly feel inferior, hiding underneath the feeling of, or the sense of inferiority, is the hidden desire to be superior. So when you live in that in an egoic state of consciousness, you always compare yourself to others you meet. And usually you either feel you're superior or inferior. Now there cannot be a true relationship when you relate to other humans and you either feel superior or inferior to them. Is there such a thing as healthy self-esteem? Sometimes that expression is used. Or is that kind of self-esteem always unhealthy? I would suggest that the only healthy self-esteem is a self-esteem that is derived from a deeper place than any of those things that usually make up a person's self-esteem. How you look, what you can do, your knowledge or your abilities, or even weird things like who you know, the strangest thing make up a person's self-esteem. And sometimes it's based in some kind of reality, of course, and in many other cases it's a total fiction. But the ego needs that. So if you are, let's say, <laughs> you're not good at anything in particular, there's nothing much that you can do, you're not wealthy, don't have much, don't have a lot of knowledge, haven't read many books, don't look great, and your body is not that great, neither your facial appearance nor your body are that great, what do you do then? I hope there's nobody in this room who thinks, oh, that's me. <laughs> you like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. 
On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore One Nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. First of all, usually the ego would create a certain narrative to compensate for that feeling of inferiority in an attempt to create some sense, at least in one area, of superiority. And one such narrative could be that the world is totally corrupt and I'm not going to take any part in it. Every human is basically evil implying that I'm the only one who is not. You could also have an image of yourself as far more spiritual than anybody else because you're free of possessions. Your mind is empty because you don't know anything. (laughs) And you're physically weak because you're spiritually so strong. (laughs) And then you have a narrative and that gives you some sense of self-esteem and then you have complete, even more fictitious narratives that are bordering on delusional, which could be, for example, that you are a reincarnation of King Arthur, the Buddha, Elvis Presley. <laughs> but no matter what it is, the element of comparison, the comparative element is always there. In that, used in that sense, there's no healthy self-esteem. The only healthy self-esteem is not derived from how you look or how physically strong you are or your abilities in whatever area or your possessions or the knowledge that you have acquired or any other things, your family background, In some countries, that's a very important thing. Who is your family? Your grandfather, your great-grandfather. They have that sense that determines their self-esteem. In the West, especially in the New World, North America, maybe South America too, Central America, that sense of family history is not as strong. But if you go to Europe, There are still quite a few people who have very high self-esteem and it's derived from the existence of their ancestors. They've never done anything, (laughs) but their ancestors did. And so that can give you a lovely fiction in your mind and that fiction gives you your sense of worth, your self-esteem. And if you have a title, then that's confirmed by everybody else who calls you by that title. You're a lord or lady. (laughs) Not everybody who has a title actually derives their sense of self-esteem from that. Some are actually not that concerned about it anymore. I've met some and others very strongly identified with it. So where's the true, the really, the healthy self-esteem? Where does that originate? Not from any of these things. You have to go a little deeper into yourself, and true self-esteem is not comparative, 
It's not I am better than or less than. Quite simply, that sense of value, of worthiness, is derived from that deeper place of, quite simply, your presence. The presence of you. The presence of consciousness. If you can sense that presence of you, you don't need to compare yourself anymore to anybody else. You know that that is who you are in your essence. And no narrative is required anymore in your mind to justify your existence or to explain who you are in relation to others. And you can then meet, and that's that place of just beingness, and that's infinitely precious. The presence of you is infinitely precious. Doesn't matter what you have achieved, doesn't matter whether your life up to this point has been a complete failure or a phenomenal success. And if you can sense that preciousness, then you can meet big egos in this world and you don't need to compare yourself and you feel absolutely even at one with them and there's a strength in, and a power in that presence compared to which any egoic power is like a phantom. You may remember the story I wrote in a New Earth. It's a Zen story, a true one, that the, the abbot of a monastery was getting ready to receive the governor of the province in an official visit to the monastery. And when the governor of the province arrived, the abbot greeted him. The visit lasted an hour. The, the governor of the province and the, his retinue went away. And in the evening, the abbot announced to everybody in the monastery that he was resigning as an abbot. And the reason he gave was, just as he was about to meet the governor of the province, he realized that the palms of his hands were moist. And that was the reason why he resigned. And it wasn't because the temperature was high, because that is a sign of nervousness, wet palms. So he noticed, being very self-observant, he noticed, oh, what does that mean? That, that means a lot. That means that I am not deeply enough rooted in my own essence to be able to relate to that person, to relate to his essence. I am mistaking who he is on the level of form for who he is in essence. And the level of form he would be superior to me. So he discovered remnants of ego in himself. So he went off, and the story is a few years later, he came back after he had studied with another, or not studied, but lived with another master. Then he came back, and his palms were not sweaty anymore. When your identity, your sense of self, is rooted in the, your presence, in the presence of consciousness, we could call that the egoless state. It's egoless while you are in that connected state of connectivity. And that's far more powerful than any ego.
I remember the movies about Kung Fu Master. It was many years ago, a series. And he was always very meek and, and he was moving around the United States, visiting places where people are larger than life, like Texas. And so he's meeting all these big egos. And, and they think, who is that little guy there? And in the decisive moments, the Kung Fu master responds to the situation and suddenly enormous power goes through him. <laughs> and then he's totally still again. So there's nobody who says, look, see how strong I am, much stronger than you. No, there's nobody who claims anything and he takes credit. I had an encounter not long after I experienced the awakening. I was in a waiting room somewhere and this huge guy came in. Compared to him, I'm just a, this puny little guy sitting there and there he planted himself in front of me and, and obviously enjoying his power. I, I can't remember what he wanted. He wanted something. And I could sense that sense of presence intensifying. And I just looked and he said a few things. And suddenly he became extremely disconcerted because there was no attempt on my part to put up any kind of defense or compete in any way. And he got deflated like a balloon and didn't know what to say or do anymore. That's an interesting phenomenon. So the important thing for you is, in any situation, be in touch with that inherent power of presence. Because ultimately, that is the power of now. Ultimately, the now is the presence. And the presence is you. And ultimately, you are, in its deepest sense, you are the now. Because the now is the presence. And this is why I speak of the power of now. The power of now is also the power of you. And not the personal you, but the you that remains and never was not connected and always is connected and always is an intrinsic part of universal power itself, universal consciousness itself. The one consciousness that underlies all phenomena the one consciousness of which all phenomena are only a temporary expression. So there's enormous power there. How that manifests in this world is a secondary thing. Perhaps it only manifests as an emanation that comes through you, or it flows into something that you, you do or create. And it's a great thing to feel that power, which is not comparative, because you know that everybody else is also a temporary expression of that inherent power, although most people don't know it. It's the famous guy that I spoke of in the, perhaps the power of now, the beggar is sitting on his, his old box for many years, asking for little coins, and then somebody says, what's inside that box? I've never looked. And it's filled with gold. And I gave that analogy or parable at the beginning of the power of now. So that is discovering 
that power in you. And for most people, they are looking for little substitutes to give them a sense of who they are. And of course, this is the reason why it is not unusual for humans to awaken spiritually, to awaken to who they are in their essence, when either one big thing or many things that they had derived their identity from, good looks, physical strength, possessions, abilities to do this or that, recognition, status in society, those things, and suddenly they lose these things, or they lose one big thing like what, that was the main, that gave them their sense of identity, the one main thing that gave them their sense of identity, and that's gone. And that's, of course, would be, as first is terrible suffering, and then it can force a human to that deeper place, because out here, unless you quickly, the ego m might make an attempt to quickly rebuild some mind-made identity by creating another narrative, that's possible too. Not, not every human who loses, who experiences great loss necessarily goes to that deeper place. But the potential is there. So it could be a sports person who is great, who is master of or some sports, and then he or she has an accident, can never participate in, it, in that activity again. And that gave him or her the sense of identity that at first leads to terrible suffering. And then, potentially, there is a deepening there. And the essence, then you are forced into your essence. There's a medieval image of Fortuna. Fortuna is the goddess of good luck or fortune. It goes back to Roman times. That shows the fickleness of things, the transient nature of all the things of this world, which are the things that people identify with, it gives them their sense of identity, their, their self-esteem. And it has a Latin inscription on it, it's an image of the goddess, and translated from Latin it says, this is supposed to be a king speaking, or former king, which king stands for any ego, and it says, it has these words in Latin, the first word is, I shall reign. The next word says, I reign, to reign a kingdom. I shall reign, I reign, I have reigned, I have lost the kingdom. <laughs> the normal sequence of events. <laughs> Old age is a great opportunity for that, unfortunately missed in many, many cases, tragically missed the opportunity as old age comes, approaches, and then you enter old age, uh, proximity of death, loss of physical abilities, of social status, retired, who am I when I no longer have that title, my work. All these things are great opportunities for going deeper. And what we are attempting to do now is getting as many books and other material out to old people's homes everywhere, and also hospices and hospitals and so on, because those are great places where spiritual transformation could happen. So the important thing then is sense your presence, the presence of you, which is not the person, something deeper, that is consciousness, being aware of itself, and then you no longer need a narrative to tell you who you are, free of 
that conceptual sense of self. And this telling yourself a story in your mind about your life that also goes out of the window, my life. This is what it has come to, all those illusions that I had, the, all those wonderful ideas I had when I was 20. Oh. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Now, you may well still be at the peak of your success, worldly success, and that's fine. Why not enjoy it? It's not who you are, so you better go into the presence because it doesn't last. With it also comes the wonderful ability to appreciate other human beings, what they can do, what they know, how they look, without feeling diminished by appreciating the external things connected to another human being. The ego can't do that. Because if the ego appreciates something, it might pretend because it wants something from you. But if the ego appreciates something, it feels diminished. If you meet somebody who obviously looks so much better than you, the ego feels diminished by that. So sometimes it tries to say something critical about that person in order to restore the injured sense of self. It's, it's absurd, but that's how it works. But when you come from presence, you can look at a beautiful form of a human being and appreciate that and feel it's so beautiful. Or the achievements of another human being, to appreciate their achievements, great, this, what wonderful things that this person can do, it's so wonderful. I would never be able to do that. And yet, the fact that you would never be able to do that, because perhaps you're not strong enough or you're not inclined in that particular direction, does not diminish anything of you. So the appreciation of others then comes in, and it's a lovely thing. I even appreciate when I occasionally see people getting into their Ferrari, and of course, usually they are, their ego walks in, is walking with them, because it, and so the car, and well, usually it's in red color, just to make sure that everybody notices. <laughs> I love that thing too. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that somebody built, and. Okay, and this ego is enjoying himself, that's okay. And you may find that sometimes very creative people, there are some who have no ego about their creations. They do not derive their identity from what they create. Others are, have fairly big egos, that happens too. I believe the greatest creators in this world don't have an ego about that. Maybe they have it somewhere else, but not around 
that. And, and that sometimes means that, that they continue to be creative. So sometimes you see this modesty, which is lack of ego in people who have created something really great, composers, poets, even some scientists like Einstein never developed an ego around what he came up with, the incredible realization about space and time. But he, he never developed this ego as, I, I created that. There was a relatively little conceptual self. Just, and he found it absurd that he had become one of the most famous people on the planet, even in his lifetime. He just couldn't, it's so weird. And he talked about the gap between what people think of me and who I am is just incredible. <laughs> and by the way, that's also the place where you can manifest out of the power of presence. If that presence, if you're linked into that presence, see what the universe wants to, because that presence is the presence of consciousness. Does it want to create something through you? Perhaps it does. But in that presence, everything is already present in an undifferentiated state. So whatever it is that you create externally is like the diluted form of something that in its essence, its concentrated non-form is already there in you. So whatever you can possibly create is already present on some level, on a deeper level. There have been composers who created the most incredible pieces of music and many of them said that they listened as if it came out of that place of depths already fully created and they just wrote it down. Okay, let's have this question on the list. Subject, happy thoughts. A thought comes that can at times trigger negative emotion. I look at it and let it pass. I don't react to it. I stay spacious. However, when nice thoughts come like life is beautiful, everything is working out perfectly for me, I want to feel them fully or should I ignore those as well? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing anybody would probably say, it's more pleasant to have nice thoughts than negative thoughts. It feels better, certainly. The body likes it more too, because negative thoughts influence the body in some way, obstructing the energy flow. You can test it out for yourself when you feel stressed or got into repetitive negative thoughts, then your body doesn't like it. It reacts. Even mainstream medicine is discovering there is a link between, well, some still say no, but there is a link between your predominant state of mind or consciousness and the physical functioning. Now, you may also find that negative thoughts proliferate and multiply much more readily than positive thoughts. A negative thought wants to proliferate and it wants to produce more negative thoughts. And then you may find a positive thought is quite happy to stand alone. There isn't the 
the pull towards proliferation of more, more of itself. A positive thought is much less likely to become obsessive, some that you can't get rid of, than a negative thought. So when you are trapped in the mind, it's very rare, if ever happens, that you are trapped in obsessive good thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> you are usually trapped in obsessive negative thoughts <laughs> because that is what negative thoughts love to do. They love to take you over. They want to, for some reason, they're like uh, certain insects that suddenly reproduce and become from one you get. They give birth to 50 and the 50 give birth to another 50 and suddenly you have millions and billions of them. So the difference, the fundamental difference then is a negative thought is actually, first of all, makes you feel better. It's easier to experience that which follows the thought because often after negative thought, you just experience the reality of what the thought just pointed to. Life is beautiful, the person here mentions as an example of a positive thought. Life is beautiful. What's wrong with that thought? Because after that thought, you're actually going to have a certain experience of life being beautiful. So the thought was no more than a pointer, a signpost. And that's perfectly fine. You use thought as a pointer. It does not absorb all your attention as a thought. It's quite happy to be just a pointer. Life is beautiful, and then perhaps for the next few minutes, you appreciate everything that is around you, and it becomes a true experience. So as a pointer, it can work beautifully. And the negative one is just one and after another, after another, it becomes obsessive. But even if you change all your thinking from negative to positive, the most vital thing is to realize that which is beyond all thought. Positive thought in itself is not yet liberating. It doesn't liberate you. Can be nice, but it doesn't liberate you. Only to find the place that is beyond all thought liberates you. Now, does that free you from negative thoughts? Yes, after a while, the negative thoughts need your identification, which means your unconsciousness, in order to proliferate continuously in your life. It's only if you identify it with them, you give them your total attention. In fact, it's not only that. You become them. They come out of your mouth when you speak. They're in your thoughts. They take you over. They possess you. You become them. And that's how they continue to grow and grow and take over your life. And it can happen. Some thoughts or thought patterns have the same function in the human mind in many cases, as a virus has in the body. A virus can proliferate and takes over the body. And so there are many mental viruses that people get taken over by and can't get rid of. Sometimes you have that virus the whole lifetime. Persistent, deep-seated negative thoughts that occupy either your entire mind or a particular section of your mind. And sometimes the virus that can take over 
can take over collectively an entire collective entity of human beings, be it a nation or a tribe or a religion or a section within a religion. It can be a political movement that suddenly has all the answers and knows who, where the enemies are. It happened when national socialism in Germany was an infection of a collective mental virus. Soviet communism, which started, of course, with good intentions, but of course had been absolutely no change in consciousness. So good intentions are not enough unless there's a shift in consciousness. Good intentions will lead you to more suffering if there's no shift in consciousness. So Soviet communism became an awful thing and it took over as again a collective mental virus. China under Mao Zedong, a collective mental virus. Millions and millions died in China, in the Soviet Communism, obviously Nazi Germany, millions and millions under Mao Zedong, children would denounce their parents. If a child was unhappy with their parents, they would go to somebody at school and say, my parents are saying this and that. The next day, they would be taken away to a labor camp and never be seen again. Total insanity. Flowers were declared illegal. They had to tear out all the flowers. Bourgeois infection, we don't want flowers. <laughs> Just in countless things being taken over by an entire nation, being taken over by a mental obsessed with certain mind forms. And then it passes. It can last a couple of decades. In Soviet communism, lasted fairly long. National Socialism, the 1,000-year Reich, lasted, I don't know, 15 years or something. <laughs> So it, it runs its course, and then like a virus infection, after a while, the virus disappears and a semblance of sanity returns. <laughs> Certainly sanity compared to what was there before. There's still the normal insanity that's part of the normal state of consciousness, but not the extreme unconsciousness that can take over when thought form becomes a virus. And of course, it happens to individuals. They have then, they interpret the world through their mental virus. You might have certain ideas. If you go on the internet too much, <laughs> and you, you might see things that, that suddenly put, the, the virus infection can happen by looking up certain things on the internet and you suddenly believe it totally in what this, it could be a total fantasy, but it looks so convincing that it becomes a thought form in your mind. And then from there it grows. And after that, you only have contact with those people who are also infected by that thought form. And you think that becomes then your reality. That is the case with many conspiracy theories. Now, I'm not saying that one out of 10, 20, or 50 conspiracy theories may not be correct. It could well be. <laughs> But many of them are fictitious constructs. But of course, the world is pretty insane. So it's probably more insane than you realize. And that includes particularly politicians and political power play and so on. So I'm not denying there is no conspiracy. There are quite mad things happening that we don't know about and yet I wouldn't go that way. Even if it's true, don't get drawn into that. Your job is to be present. 
Your job is to embody a different state of consciousness. You cannot fight unconsciousness on its own level. You have to rise above unconsciousness. So good thoughts, yes, good thoughts are preferable to bad thoughts, but then go beyond thought also. And then negative thoughts will lessen in your life, even if you've been around for a long time, as more presence arises. Good thoughts can arise naturally, and a lot of your consciousness is no longer dependent on what thoughts you have. There's just more presence, and you appreciate life through presence, rather than trying to convince yourself that you should appreciate life. <laughs> you appreciate life directly. Gratefulness is another important thing. Gratitude is, of course, wonderful, a very transformative. Gratitude implies a deep appreciation of what you are perceiving around you. Whether or not you have the thought in your mind that accompanies that, that says, thank you, it's secondary. And after a while, you don't need thank you anymore, but when you first practice gratitude, thankful can be helpful. When you say something beautiful, thank you for things that otherwise you wouldn't even acknowledge. Thank you for how the light reflects off this table. Thank you for this amazing substance that we call water. Got these little like, tiny bubbles in it. And here it is. I can look at it, drink it. It's alive. It's an amazing thing. And you can appreciate it. It's filled with light, life-giving substance. Why not appreciate it? And whether or not you say thank you, it's up to you. It's, thank you is not the main, the main thing, is the, the act of giving it attention. That again is perceiving it through presence. And then everything is something to be valued that's around you. That's wonderful spiritual practice. And of course, for a while it's a spiritual practice. Then it becomes second nature. That's how you live. So. There is some association with certain thoughts, yes, expressing gratitude, but it's not the main thing. The thoughts are more like pointers towards that which is beyond thought. But in many people's lives, the beginning of uh, spiritual practice and realization is that they suddenly realize how much they've been trapped in negative thinking over past years and they suddenly wake up to their own thought processes, whereas before they were trapped in their own thought processes. That's the beginning of spiritual awakening. If you realize what kind of thought processes have been predominant in your life over the past few years on every day, through which you interpret other people, the world, yourself, your life, and so on. And that's an amazing jump because it implies suddenly awareness or presence has emerged and suddenly you become aware of your thinking. That was my first breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough. It was not a real full awakening. It was a partial awakening that then kind of disappeared again, went underground for another 10 years or more. It happened to me when I was 16 or 17. 
And my mind was deeply negative in many ways because I'd been unhappy as a child, parents in constant conflict, violent arguments and even physical violence, and a great sense of insecurity because violence could explode at any moment at home. And we had very little money, so everybody else had more than we did. They had cars, we didn't have a car. They had a television, we didn't even have a television. <laughs> I'm, I didn't realize then how lucky I was. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to live with my dad in Spain, and he had moved from Germany to Spain with his savings, and just as I arrived there, he was running out of money. <laughs> and we were poor, almost third world, with not enough money even to buy a fridge in Spain in the hot weather. But we could afford a block of ice they would deliver at weekends, so you could order, somebody would come, and there was a huge, we had a fridge, but it didn't have any ends in, in it, just, just a cabinet, but you could put a block of ice in there and it would last for a day or two. So once a week we had enough money to order a block of ice, so on a Saturday it would be put in there and then we could put some food in there, but still by Sunday lunchtime it would have gone off in the summer heat. <laughs> so I was still very negative, my mind was, bad things always happen to me, was one of the repetitive thoughts. And whenever something bad happens, and of course, bound to happen to me, it always does. Nothing good ever happens to me. <laughs> and then the first shift came, I was 16 or 17. A lady who was living in Spain, a German lady, had to go back to Germany, and she said, can I leave a few books? I have too much, can't take my, all my books back with me. Can I leave these books with you? She left a few books with us. And of those books, maybe 15 books, eight or nine of those books were written by a spiritual author, relatively unknown at that time and even now. But I picked up a book and for the first time I read that there is a link between what happens in your outer world and your thought processes. And that negative thinking creates further negative experiences and that you can become free of. That was a huge revelation. On my mouth dropped open and I read more and more and then at that time I had a typewriter. I would even type out the old-fashioned typewriter, of course. I would type out whole pages of the book and collect them and I shifted my thinking from negative to much more positive. And then, only a year later, I was longing to get away from there, from my dad and his second marriage, which wasn't working either. I was longing to get out, and suddenly, everything happened. I got offered, a, at that time, was a wonderful job, even though I had no qualifications in London, England, and the most incredible thing, how the life shifted, it was through changing my thinking through this author. But then, in England, I was fine for two or three years. Then the negative thoughts became less and less, and I became unhappy again. So, 
it kind of disappeared, and then I had many years of depression and anxiety, and finally at 29, something different happened. It wasn't just positive thinking, it was the end of being identified with thinking. But the first little change happened there, and for many on the spiritual path, that is also the case, and this is, applies to many people when they first realize what kind of thoughts they have been thinking or habitually think, and then shift comes. That's the period when you put little stickers and labels are in your place to remind you of positive things, <laughs> such as, I love myself. <laughs> Eventually, you transcend loving yourself, but it can be a wonderful intermediate step between transcending yourself and hating yourself. <laughs> so you go from, I hate myself, to I love myself, to I am myself. <laughs> I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.